This season, turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie up some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. Can't live on that bread alone. Every word of God's mouth will fuel me on. That's scripture, that's Christ alone. That's grace alone, that's faith alone. All glory to God, cause that's his alone. Since the land's been slain, we can each belong. The Lord is my strength, my peace, and my song. And I'll lay it all down at the feet of his throne. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Fails torn in tubes, so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a job full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to his throne. It's the year of the feast, we gon' grow some Time to put some meat in the bones Gotta put the milk down, son, it's time to leave home I'm just saying there's a time and a season You gotta be a Berean If you just hear and believe it You could be walking with demons It could be rendering season All the things that go to God That's a little like treason Wait, welcome back, my friends Did you ever really think we could pass the 10? Our stock's up, we about to trend Cause the whole 36 wanna rap again Wait, sounds too good to be true Like we're in candy land Ain't no ladders, just shoot We hold true if it's loaded in the cannon Best believe it's understanding If it's not, it ain't proof like sacred name of the two house frame ears start to tickle then you fill it in the planks you better not you be better off not trying to hassle half you can take it to the bank this night ready he's about to go off put the ring on your finger from the cracker jack box it's hide and seek let's see if you can find out all the little messages you hear before the time out ever seen a scholar with a blue belt i have he's about to make your food melt the loud one and he strikes again but don't let him close range he gonna bite your friends so relax got it still in control he knows every care every village you hold he knows every hair every need for your soul nothing new round here this story's been told i bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters with bruised feet your body is battered you can't reach trying to climb up that ladder sit back and hold fast to messiah matters Wednesday, December 27, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 455. Let me explain. No, there's no time. Let me summarize. My name is Caleb Hegg. <laughs> I'll summarize. I'm Rob Danoff. There you go. What is up, my guy? Nice hat. Gotta represent. You know, if these, you guys hear... These go to 11. <laughs> this one goes to 11. I, if you guys hear it in my voice... Still sick. This is month three, going on month four now. Still have the same cough. I think I might have had walking. I might have walking pneumonia. That's that's the truth. Uh-oh. Rob, where are you walking at? Walking pneumonia and the boogie woogie flu. There it is. There it is. Whoop. All right. There it is. So, should we just jump in? No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't just jump in. We got... We got too much. We got too much to say before we do that. All right. Uh, welcome everyone in the chat room. I want to say that first and foremost. Let's switch this over here. 
Uh, well, we'll just get this out of the way. Seehagatorresource.com. That is the email address you can send all sorts of stuff to, including videos from Mystery Bible Theater 3000, which will not happen this week, but will come back next week. You can also call our comment line 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You won't talk to us. You'll talk to an answering machine. Tell us how much you love us, hate us, disagree with us, agree with us. Whatever you want to, we will listen to it. And then uh, go to messiahmatters.com for past shows. If you want to hear, uh, read the, the lyrics for the uh, the song that you just heard, you can go there and find them there. Um, all sorts of great stuff. And then, of course, this show is produced by Torah Resource. Torah Resource is a great resource for just about anything uh, that you want that has to do with Torah, Torah observance. I'm currently going through uh, the commentary on the book of Galatians that we have up there. Uh, it is well worth the price uh, that we have it at. You should, If you do not own that book, you should own it one way or the other. I, I fully believe that. Uh, I think it's I think it's a needed resource for the body of Christ today. Okay. Uh, so go I ahead. I would say that. I would just say that for all Tim Hague's commentaries. Yeah, I agree. I actually uh, use my dad's commentaries. You, you, yeah, it's, so, it's just, weekly. it should be a go-to. It doesn't, yeah, even if I you agree. decide you're not going to agree or if you don't, you know, if you take a different view, it's a go-to because there's stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. Yep. I agree. And, and um, that's just, a, that's my opinion. His commentary, on, his commentary on Galatians and his commentary on Hebrews, I think, are absolute must-haves. Like, I, I think that every every believer's bookshelf should have those books. That I, you know, I look at my, my father's life, and boy, oh boy, I see how much he has done for the body. And it's always amazing to me. But when I read his commentaries, I really believe that the Lord has used my, my dad in, in ways just like he used um, people in the Reformation. I, I, I mean, it... That it might sound like I'm over embellishing, but I'm I'm not. I honestly believe that the Lord has used uh, some of my dad's work. The to, receipts to, are there. Like, they, like exactly. we could say that, but like the whole foundation of the Torah resource library right. is is over what two almost three decades of yeah. of scholarship that's Tons there. Of work, yeah, and yeah, good work there. too. Okay, and finally, last but not least, do not forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. I know it sounds weird, but it does help us. And if you're already subscribed, do us a favor, click that like button. Okay. Uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something. Forget mm. what it was. Mm. Okay, that's okay. It's okay. Uh, oh, yeah, I do remember. <laughs> See, it's all coming back to me now. It's all coming back. Okay, just so everyone knows, the uh, if you look at the YouTube channel, uh, video right now that is that is live streaming. It says description to come. Now, I said this about a month ago, but I'm going to say it again for everybody. Uh, the Normally, it used to be that I would try to get the podcast up on Wednesday as soon as the live stream was done. As soon as the live stream was done, you could go listen to the podcast. That is changing now. The podcast will not be up until Friday. So you will see show notes, you'll show, see a uh, description of the of the podcast, you'll see a description on YouTube, you'll see well, everything, you know, show notes and everything that'll all go out on Fridays now. It's, uh, it, it's just my schedule is uh, such that it needs to, it needs to be that way. So uh, you can still watch it on YouTube right after the stream is done. So if you if you are jonesing for it, and you need you need some Messiah matters, some fresh Messiah matters, you know, as you can always find it on YouTube as soon as the show is done. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Oh, by the way, we do have a new. We do have a new. Uh, uh, we have a new executive producer, but I'm gonna wait until next week to introduce because I need to contact her and see if she has a message that she wants read. Okay. So in that case, we are going to go to our show notes. Here we go. So Brandon and I have been going back and forth all week long, and this is, uh, Brandon is not the only one, okay? In fact, I've had multiple people contact me, and I even had a brother in the Lord uh, call me and say, hey, let's get, get together for coffee and talk about this one clip <laughs> from last week. Now, this clip, I actually did clip it. I clipped it, and I made it into a six-minute video. You can go watch the six-minute video, or you can go watch show five, uh, 454. To see this clip. Now, in the clip, what I say is that I believe that uh, my my view is changing a little bit on 
the church and those in the church and and whether or not we should like Torah observant people should be uh, you know what what it looks like to fellowship like should we be fellowshipping with people in the church and I think that this needs some some further explanation and so I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to clip what I'm saying from here on into a clip and post it so that there is clarification within the Torah movement. Okay, there is a wide spectrum of people. Bonson. Uh, who came up with the term pronomian, says this in his book, right? He says that there are people who are pronomian who simply love the, the law of God and think that it's a good thing, all the way to people who, like myself, who believes that there is going to be a temple again and the sacrificial system will be reinstituted, okay? So there, there's people all in between. Within that spectrum of people, you have people in the Torah movement who are going to tell you, well, uh, it doesn't matter what anybody believes. We're we're part of the Christian church. We're going to be part of that Christian church, okay? And then all the way over to people who are going to say, no, if somebody doesn't keep kosher, doesn't keep the Sabbath, they're not, part, you know, like you'll even have what I consider heresy say they're not saved, right? They're not keeping the covenant. Therefore, they're not saved. So, and everything in between. Now, for a long time on this show, I have said that if you don't have a better, uh, a better, uh, community to go to, you should be part, find a local church that has good believers in it. I still hold to that. I still believe that. Now, I think where the change would come for me is this. I don't necessarily think, and I can only speak from personal experience. I would not personally become a member of a church that says that the kosher laws are done away with, or says that the Sabbath is no longer to be kept. I would not become a member of that church. I would not. So what does that look like? I don't know. It looks like in some communities, it means that I wouldn't become a member. I wouldn't place myself under the authority of the, the elders. Okay. But I think that just to clarify this statement, we have, we have to look at, at the whole of community. I've said for a very long time, I'll let you jump in here in just a few seconds, Rob, but I've said for a very long time, that you have four options as, as a Torah observant believer. You have the option to A, find a Torah observant community within your, within, you know, distance of you to go to on a Shabbat. Now, obviously there's a lot of problems with that since there's a lot of wackadoo in the Torah movement. Okay. But that's one option. Find a, a Torah observant community in, in your, in your area. Number two is start a, a community, start a a uh, Bible study or a Sabbath gathering or whatever it is, start one, invite people in, right? That's option number two. Option number three, maybe God's telling you to move, right? I've said that before. Maybe the Lord wants you to move somewhere where there is a community that you can go to. And number four is find a church in your local community. Now, I've always set, had those four options. I've always said that there, those are the four options. I think that going to a church where people believe that the Sabbath has been done away with and that eating kosher, uh, unkosher food is fine, I think that for, for Torah observant believers, I think that that's probably a last resort. However, if that's all you have, are they still believers? Of course. You know, the, the brother who sat me down this, this last week, he, I would, you know, for lack of a better uh, explanation, I would say that he is, he holds to mainstream Christianity. He's open, right? He's open to have theological discussion. But I'm not going to sit there and say, well, this person isn't saved because they they have held to a theological tradition that has been held to by the church for 2,000 years. So should I fellowship with him? Sure, absolutely. Why not? Now, with that said, is it going to be better for a believer who believes that, that we should be keeping the Torah to be in a community that agrees with him? Of course. It's the same with... I mean, I would say the same thing with somebody who is a Baptist going to a, you know, an Episcopal church. You're going to have major problems because there's theological differences. That doesn't mean that you can't fellowship with the people, but it means that you're going to have a really hard time being in a community with them. And I've come to the realization, you know what, as a Torah observant believer, we're going to have problems in mainstream Christian churches because, you know, they're going to, we're going to disagree. Rob, do you have anything to say about that before I move on to the second part of this conversation? Go. No, keep going. Keep. <coughs> okay. Well, fine. I feel like I've just talked and <laughs> talked and talked. So in our conversation, and I think that this is an important point, Brandon brings up this point. Uh, he says, uh, we would say that we have grace and fellowship with those who commit sin in eating abominations and, uh, 
desecrating one of the Ten Commandments in disregarding the Sabbath as something done away with or spiritual in nature because of the tradition that has been around for so long. Now, I need to clarify this. My, my response was this. I think that uh, we have to give grace to the modern Christian understanding and theology when it comes to believers of things like eating unkosher food and the Sabbath because it's ingrained in tradition. It's ingrained in Christian theology and has been for 2,000 years. So something like LGBTQ+, right? This has not been ingrained in Christian theology. The churches that are accepting this are just, uh, they're bowing down to cultural depravity, right? It's This isn't part of, of Christian tradition. This is just becoming part of the culture around you. Whereas something like not, you know, the Sabbath has changed to Sunday or the Sabbath is done away with and eating unkosher food as examples are not celebrating the festivals. These are things that have been part of Christian theology for 2000 years, essentially. And so the point is, is that I think that there does need to be grace there. And so Brandon is pushing back on this and he's, he's saying, okay, so how do we determine that? He says, then on the other hand, we would say Catholics commit idolatry by the traditions as well. But we should not have grace and fellowship with them on this matter, even though the sin seems equally bad and they equally have the tradition that leads them to believe such. I just don't know how to draw the line when using the grace for traditional errant teaching per per parameter for th uh, some things, but not for others. I think that this is actually a really good comment because I think that the answer is, I don't know. I can tell you this, when it comes to idolatry, blatant idolatry, bowing down to statues, praying to uh, dead saints, these kind of things, I think that there are sins that are worse than others. We see this in Acts 15, right? There are four commands that are given to the Gentiles so that they can come into the synagogue. Paul doesn't say, just keep the Torah, all of it, or else you're getting kicked out, right? There's grace that's given there. When I think of idolatry, I think of the highest level of, of sin against God. Now, I'm not saying that other sins aren't as important. All I'm saying is that there is grace, especially when something's been ingrained in theology. Am I totally off, Rob? What do you think? You might be totally off <laughs> on a lot of things, and I just don't see it. No, uh, You know, following Yeshua it's true. ain't easy. Right. It's not easy. And, you know, as back to this idea of, <clears throat> pardon me, having grace for what does it mean it means the way i think of it is it means it's not a reciprocal relationship it means if if i'm you know have a friendship or building a friendship with somebody who is let's say a catholic or an orthodox christian you know and they're of a worldview that if they took super radically, I would be a heretic. In other words, I'm right. viewed as a heretic and a potential convert for them. Like someone, oh, come back. You need to come back to the true church, this kind of thing that you'd hear maybe a, a hardline Catholic or hardline Orthodox Christian would say. Um, but that, that ain't going to happen. So, so that they might, but they could tell themselves, oh, I'm ha having, I'm tolerating Rob right? To some degree, but that, that doesn't have to affect you, right? You can still come from a position anchored in the promise of the Abrahamic covenant that you abide in the blessing of the covenant and you actually have something to offer and you're not looking for reciprocity. So that's, that's how I understand those kinds of relationships. It's not it, you might say, well, yeah, you know, you're my brother or sister or whatever. And even though, in fact, maybe, they, maybe they're not ultimately your brother or your sister, but you can treat them as if they are in hope that they, they are, but you're not expecting them to like radically change right away. I, I, because these are multi-generational problems. Like the like the whole LGBTQ, like it started with just, we just want to recognize our unions, right? Right. And then it like, it starts out and then since the sixties or whatever, it's, it's like a snowball now going downhill, getting bigger and bigger, and bigger. So in the same way, an individual 
interacting with people of a particular tradition, you know, I think a lot of times those people are going to be maybe how, how often are they first generation believers? You know, they might be, they might be cage stage <laughs> in a situation, but sometimes they're second, third, fourth, fifth generation of a, of a particular, you know, theological uh, bent on, on understanding God's law. Let's say a pronomian Baptist or something, you know, look, my, my great grandparents were Baptist preacher, you know, Baptist, Baptist, Baptist. And so, Appreciating people's story and being able to learn to behave, you know, in a godly way with all manner of people is a, that's a top priority. That's a commandment for us is to learn to love without expecting people to radically change their life so that they agree with us. So I can understand going and visiting a church and say, look, I, and, but I don't think it should be stealth because then the, the pastors can think that you're like a, a wolf. You're just floating around trying to find, you know, an argument or something. And, and and if that's what they're perceiving, then you need to go look in the mirror. But if you were, if you come and say, Hey, this is, this is where I'm coming from. I'd like to, to, to come and, and hear preaching and, and, uh, you know, have fellowship, but I'm, I, I'm not going to be a member, you know? And if, and if, if there's a way it's like, Hey, that, okay, great. You know, then, then good. Um, and maybe can, there's a season that someone's going to have that kind of experience. I've had that kind of experience. Um, and so, but ultimately there, there might be, a, okay, you know, I've, the season's over, you know? See, and that's, um, and, 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 and that's, and that's where I think my family is. What, you know, I, I can't downplay the fact that there has been situations in the past year and a half, you know, my family attended a Presbyterian church for two years or for a year and a half. And, it was uh, it was very uplifting for us. We we were very blessed to be at with those believers for the time that we were there. And there's nothing horrible that happened. It wasn't like we you know when I when we left the church, uh, I talked to the pastors. I told them that we were going to move on. They said, "Great, not a problem. You know, come back anytime. We love you guys. You know, everything was fine." However, the the one thing that I would say is that I realized that uh, it was it was difficult. You know, I think that uh, it's, and I've said this, I've always said this, it is difficult to be in a community where you disagree theologically. I knew it was going to be difficult and it was difficult. And so that, you know, that's one of the things that I realized is that, okay, you know, I, we wouldn't become a member of this congregation because of the difficult situations. You know, another situation we had was my kids go to a church during the week uh, with my wife for uh, a Bible study and... Uh, you know, my son, as bold and wonderful as he is, told the Sunday school teacher, or it wasn't a, you know, the teacher at the, you know, during that was there, um, I can't have those, those gummies because they have pork in them. And the teacher asked, well, why don't you eat pork? And he said, because God says not to. And she said to him, well, that's part of the old covenant. We're now under the new covenant. And I actually think that this was of the Lord because now my son is desperately wanting to know, well, what's the response? How do I tell that? You know, what do I say? I want to be able to defend the fact that the Torah is not done away with. It's like, great, perfect. This is a learning opportunity that, you know, we, we will now, will now show you. But at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, being a part of a congregation where you're going to hear those kind of things is difficult and you have to be prepared for that. This is why I say, honestly, for me personally, I think that moving is going to be a better option than trying to lock into a church full time for the rest of, of time. It's not going to work if you're, if you're Torah observant. Now that's not because of the Torah observant people. Most of the time, sometimes it is you get, you get the Torah terrorists who are like, I'm going to tell everybody, everybody, I need to bash everybody over the head with the Torah. I think it's actually because, and I know that a lot of uh, mainstream Christian brothers and sisters wouldn't understand this because they don't, they don't see, I mean, can we call it persecution? I don't know. But, you know, when you're constantly being sat down by eldership to tell you that you're wrong, or, you know, if you keep saying these things, or if you, you know, if you tell somebody that you, you know, that you should be, that, you, you know, believers should be eating kosher, you're getting kicked out. 
That's because of, of the people in the church. It's not because of us. A lot of the time, not all the time, a lot of the time. And so I think that this is really where the rub comes. I think that this is really where a lot of the, the, um, a lot of the, you know, uh, bashing of heads comes together. It's not because of the people who genuinely want to fellowship with uh, people in the Christian church. I think it's the opposite. I think that people in the Christian church inevitably are going to kick you out because they believe theologically you are placing yourself under the old covenant, things that I would certainly push against. And they would say that uh, we, you know, to have certain beliefs, we are spitting on the cross of Christ. I've heard this numerous, numerous, numerous times, exact words, spitting on the cross of Christ. So I understand why they wouldn't necessarily want us in their community if they think that we're spitting on the cross of Christ. But at the same time, this is usually how it goes. Anything else to say on this, Rob? Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. No, probably not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what the... Uh, so there's been a, a conversation in the chat room, which I actually think is a, a good one. Um, it, it centers around the, the term heresy. So uh, Josh says, uh, like it's been said in the past, there are, are title... Uh, there are little, sorry, there are little H heresies and big H heresies. And uh, the John... And, you know, I've been called to the mat on this one, and I think the John 17 Project actually uh, is right in this. They say, I think it is better to use terms such as tradition, bad doctrine, or even false teaching before we use the term heresy. It helps distinguish between the severity of issues. It also helps open the door to further conversation. I agree with that. Uh, now, I, you go back and listen to past shows, you'll hear me use the word heresy a lot. I've tried to take that out, out of my vocabulary um, more often than not, simply because, you know, somebody said, well, heresy is a Catholic term. Okay. Uh, usually when you're talking about heresy, you're talking about disfellowshipping someone. And that would mean that they're not they're in your view, they're not in covenant relationship and therefore they are outside of the covenant people of God and therefore they're not saved, Right. And so I think that the John 17 Project here makes an excellent point. We need to uh, be very careful about the words we use. And I have personally tried to use different words than heresy. Okay. Are we going to move on a little bit? Sure. We're going to move on now? All right. Let's do it. Seahagatorresource.com. Uh, Send in uh, your questions, your comments, or your show topics that you would like discussed or 253-465-3205. Okay. We're going to go to this one. This was actually sent in for a Mystery Bible Theater 3000 clip. It is a video. Uh, many people uh, probably in the chat room and who watch this show are going to know the name Michael Jones. Michael Jones uh, runs a channel and a, I, don't, I, I suppose we could call it a ministry, uh, called uh, Inspiring Philosophy. He's done some interesting work, I think, on the Exodus and the dating of the Exodus. Um, he has probably become most famous in the uh, Torah movement uh, for opposing the notion that uh, that Christmas is pagan. He uh, did. He's done a lot of work to to show that Christmas, um, whether or not you agree with him or not, and I don't agree with everything he says on this issue, but. He has done a lot of work to show that Christmas uh, does not come from pagan origins. So that's really how he got his name in the uh, in the in, among Torah pursuant believers. He is not Torah pursuant. In fact, uh, I think that he is very opposed to such a notion. And this video itself uh, speaks to that. He has, <laughs> excuse me. He has also strongly uh, opposed Jim Staley. Now. In terms of his work uh, against Jim Staley, um, I, you're not going to get any sympathy from me here uh, in, in terms of Jim Staley. I think that Jim Staley needs to stop making videos. I think he should shut up and sit down. And uh, I think that he is, honestly, I think he's a shyster. I think that uh, he's about, he manipulates people and I don't know if he even thinks he's doing it. So, okay, whatever. That's neither here nor there. This clip, though, is from a video that Michael Jones did. He has a guest on. I actually don't know who the guest is. The guest is the one speaking in this clip. And uh, what they do is they the whole video is uh, showing how Jim Staley is a false teacher. And uh, you can find this on Inspiring Philosophy. Uh, this clip was sent to us. This is at the 29-minute mark. It's two minutes long. And this is what they say. Let's take a listen. But there 
there is a whole corpus of Christian literature, both in the early church, the Middle Ages, as well as into modern times, about what the purpose of the Jewish law was, why God... I remember now... He's probably not going to find any weight in this, but I remember Thomas Aquinas specifically talked about how um, when God delivered a law, a law code to the ancient Israelites, uh, because that's from God, we could you could actually make the argument that the ancient Israelite societies is the closest to a perf- perfectly just society um, for that time period and, and in mm-hmm. that place. But, but as with all law codes, every single law code is specifically is is an application of universal law to a particular time period and to a particular people. There, there are no exceptions to this. Every single law code throughout all of human history yep. will always be an application of universal law to a particular society, which means that if you were to take the ancient Israelite law code and simply enforce it on a modern society or any society for that matter outside of that specific context that would be an evil that would you are taking a law code that was designed for a specific people and you are putting it on a people who are it is not specifically designed for it's this is the exact thing that that he is trying to do here take the festivals which are a con festivals are are indeed a constant throughout every single society why because it's part of human nature it's part of human beings to have festivals but to enforce a single set of festivals as they existed in an ancient semitic society onto every single society that ever comes after that is wrong that that totally misunderstands the purpose of the jewish festivals I would agree wholeheartedly with you. And the more I read the early church fathers, the more I I definitely move in that direction. Okay. So there's a lot going on here. Number one, we, we have to, we have to remember that they're making a video against Jim Staley. Unfortunately, I think we should have a moment of silence. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, the, 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 what what, I think the biggest misstep here is that they, they uh, stop attacking Jim Staley and they instead attack God's law. Um, this Ouch. is not going to, this is Ouch. not going to work. Yeah. This is not going to work, uh, even for many Christian believers. Okay. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, well, we don't have to keep the festivals anymore, but boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, this is just, uh, he says, uh, you know, I don't think he'll accept this when he's talking about Aquinas, <laughs> he's talking about Jim Staley, not accepting this. Well, I don't think any, first of all, any honest <laughs> Christian believer who accepts church fathers over the word of God, uh, <laughs> You're going to have major problems, even within Christianity. This doesn't, we're not even talking about Hebrew rooters. We're not talking about Torah observant believers. We're not talking about anybody. We're just (laughs) talking about, this is just, this is the worst. Yeah. This is the worst. These guys would have really benefited to go to ETS and hear like, uh, like Daniel, uh, Daniel block. Um, who's, who's our other guy that, uh, Gains or gain. Yeah. These guys need to read up. Well, uh, um, okay, because here's he saying, this is what Michael I hear. Jones was I'm wrong. Michael, Michael Jones was at, at ETS. Yeah, but he's at the wrong sessions. <laughs> Fair. Keep if going. He's gonna, if he's going to sit there and agree with this guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I agree this, is that. Awful. this is awful. This is awful. Here, here's an example. One of the things that uh, Daniel, I think it was Daniel, Daniel Block brought up is the code of Hammurabi. Okay, so so this this guy says what uh, what we just heard. If I heard it correctly, was that every law code there are? He said literally, "quote There are no exceptions." Did you hear that? Oh, there yeah. are no exceptions. Every law code is universal law applied to a specific people at a specific historical time and place, and that it is actually would be evil to take that law code and impose it on a different people at a different time and place. But but yet it's still divine law, right? It's still universal law. This is horrific. Well, um, one so- of the examples for a Hammurabi code is if there is a person who's suspicious of a certain crime, they do the, the water ordeal. They go to where the rapids of the river and they throw the person into the river. And if yeah. the person survives... That means they're innocent. And if they drown, it means that uh, the, God the water, them. which and the river was was a deity, 
right? That means the deity uh, administered justice by putting that person to death. Right. So uh, this guy said there are no exceptions. So that law, which is a code, it's inscribed on the giant stele of, of the Code of Hammurabi, is a universal law? No, no, he's saying the opposite. People? He's saying the opposite. No, no, no. I think you've misunderstood completely. What he what he's saying is is that each law code it has its own region. So, in other words, if if you have the Hammurabi code, it's for those people in that region. You can't take that and place it on anyone no, else. No, I know, but he says it's but it's universal law applied. Could you play the first beginning, please? No, I think again? you I, I think you 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 misunderstood that. But it's possible there. There is a whole corpus of Christian literature, both in the early church, the Middle Ages, as well as into modern times about what the purpose of the Jewish law was, why God. I remember now he's probably not going to find any weight in this, but I remember Thomas Aquinas specifically talked about how um, when God delivered a law, a law code to the ancient Israelites, uh, because that's from God, we could you could actually make the argument that the ancient Israelite societies is the closest to a perf perfectly just society um, for that time period and, and in that mm -hmm. place. But, but as with all law codes, every single law code is specifically is, is an application of universal law to a particular time period and to a particular people. Oh, I see what you, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But I think I think that what he's uh, but I think that he says every single law code, and then he said there's no exceptions, is an application of universal law to a particular people at a time and place. And he's saying the Jewish law is the same thing. It's yeah, a universal that I agree. law uh, yes. that is applied to a specific people. And this guy, I'm sorry that I, this is awful. This oh, is it horrific. is awful. There's no well. Hang on, just a sec. Here's here's the main point for me. The, the the speaker is attempting, in my view, to say that God's law is just a normal everyday law. And actually, in the in the uh, chat room, the John 17 Project says he has openly, I think he's talking about Michael Jones, but I could be wrong on that. He, he says he has openly said that, the, that he approaches scripture like any other ancient Near Eastern text. I think it blinds him. Now, there are many scholars who do this, right? However, at some point as a believer, you have to say there's something different about the law of God, which is that it's divinely given. It is the divinely given law. David says that this law is perfect. And this Why is, the, is that? The, the rhetoric, what he does, this is the dialectic. He shifts it from God's law to Jewish law. Right. Yes, exactly. So now that creates distance. That 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 is a categorical... A move to try to separate and create distance. Um, and this, it, it's awful. This is horrific. Uh, um, it, it's I think, disturbing. I, I think that, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that. And then is, the other it, thing he said was, oh, well, it is just, it's of humans to celebrate festivals. It's just a, of humans. Yeah, but the festivals point to Christ. So let me ask you this, Caleb. The festivals, Before, the festivals, hang on just a sec. The festivals of the Torah point to Christ, which is exactly the point is that you have something different in the law of God. It is different than, than a universal law that is, that is being given at, to people in a specific region in time. Let, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you this question. We learn from the Torah that at the revelation of Mount Sinai, the people thought they were going to die. Was God being evil? Was he imposing on them a law that was, you know, this idea that Aquinas in the Middle Ages says, oh, you'd think that ancient Israelites might have the have had the most just society? No. The the law of Moses was not given with that God had the thought that, oh, I'm going to give them this law and they're going to have this most just society ever. No. The the it's it's to expose sin. It's, to, it's a reflection it's to of God's holiness. It's to give differentiation between here's where blessing is, here's where the covenant goods, here's where the treasures of heaven are, and outside of that are the curses. And it's all revealed. It's like light in the darkness. And what humans can't tolerate that because those who, who practice evil, they want to hide. They don't want their deeds exposed. 
and the, those who live by faith come to the light because they want correction. They 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 want to. They believe God is their Father. They believe that they're going to grow in faith and they're going to understand what it means to be, walk in the faith of Abraham. And and the it's just so wrong. This guy reads the wrong books. He's reading the so, wrong books if he's a believer. That's okay. That's hang on, though. The, 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 the point, another point that needs to be made is, is that God judges the other nations around Israel according to his law, right? To his law, which shows that it shows many things, but ultimately the law of God is a reflection of God's holiness to, to bring it down to uh, such a place as, oh, it's just another law code. Human particular. Oh, it's just particular. The Sabbath really isn't holy. In other words, Caleb, it's only right. holy for those people at that time. And it, but it's a universal law. So if another people have a different holy day, so would he say that Muslim code law code is, is universal law applied to specific people? I don't want to speak for him, but I think that the, it, the John 17 project makes a great, a great point. Ignoring second Timothy three, six, uh, 16 creates serious issues in understanding the word. Yeah, the problem that you're going to have is that the the apostolic scriptures continue to say that there is something different about the Torah, that it is God's law. It is yeah. God's My law. My thought is that this guy that we just listened to is of the secular mind that the the Old Testament is a conglomeration of just oral, different or variant oral traditions that were put together. It wasn't really, you know... That that sort of thing, you know, it's not really from God. Um, yeah, that's 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 awful. How did, how is a believer edified? Let let me ask. Let's just let's just for a moment. Let's take the hypothesis. Let's explore the hypothesis that that the law of Moses was just a it's part of, just like all ancient near eastern societies or all societies a universal law applied to a specific people how does that benefit how does that edify a, a disciple of yeshua today i don't know it doesn't is there an, and why would i read thomas aquinas i mean am i catholic like is he does he believe that the pope is is the is the spokesperson i think that a lot of christianity i think a lot of christianity is wrapped up with the with the church fathers you know one of the things that i came to realize as i was reading the church fathers in my in my church history class is that you have people who are deemed heretics by the church who are still considered to be church fathers tertullian is a perfect example of this so just because somebody is, is deemed a church father doesn't mean that their theology is 100% correct. It means that they've said something that the church has has accepted, but it doesn't mean that all every that the, their words are divinely inspired. In fact, quite the contrary. You have people throughout history that are are heavily relied on by the church in certain areas that are completely off kilter in other areas. And I think that this is one of the things that many people who read church fathers are are not quite understanding. We we still have to wade through what is right and what's wrong. We there's still something of despine, the divinely inspired canon, and the church fathers are not it. So yeah, even yeah. though Aquinas and, and, might have had some a, good things to completely say, completely another, completely other angle to this is the epistemology. Is like how do we know things? And there's there's really great recent scholarship on how how biblical knowing. Uh, what's his name? Drew Drew Johnson. Biblical knowing, D R U, I think is how you spell it. Drew Johnson uh, has written about this. That in the Bible, like like if you go to Genesis fifteen, right, and and God says, "I bless you. I'm going to bless you," and all this, and and Avram is like, "I don't even have any children. Like, how are you going to bless me? Am I going to just is is uh, Eliezer going to be my heir?" And he's like, "No, you're going to have." Uh, he says, go out and count the stars if you're able, right? If you're able. Now, the next verse is not Abraham started counting stars. No, it says, and he trusted the Lord. Right. And it was reckoned as righteous. But then Abraham says, how will I know? Maida, how will I know that I will inherit it? And and God doesn't just give him a bunch of knowledge. He says, okay, 
go get grab these particular animals, split them in half. And then Avram has a deep, a tarde ma, deep sleep, right? And he can't move. And, and we see the whole covenant that it's unilateral, right? God puts it on himself. He, he goes uh, as a torch, right? Between the pieces. Well, the point here is that God's answer to Avram's question, how will I know? Was not like the way we teach, like, how do I know what day the Declaration of Independence was signed and who was there? It's, it's not a modern kind of concept of information. It was a covenantal right that ensued. And, and at the conclusion of that right, he said, no, for certain that so many generations, you know, you're going to go, you'll die in Shalom, but your offspring will go down and serve a nation. Doesn't mention Egypt, but we know it's Egypt, but I will bring them back. Okay. Point, same thing with the Pesach. Why do you do the Pesach, right? The idea is you do it and in doing it, you learn, you grow, you with every commandment that you do. The idea is that the, applica the applicability of God's Torah to the life of believer is in our doing and learning and walking with God. It, that's the primary mode. It's not so I can look at other people and judge their life. But the way this guy's talking, it sounds like like we go around and I, you know, have I take the Torah of Moses everywhere I go and I look at other Christians and I say, oh, condemned, condemned. And he's thinking that that's why the law was given is to is is to somehow rule people. And that's not the primary purpose of the, of the Torah. The purpose of the Torah is the revelation of God's holiness that, and the specifics that we need to know about the covenant that he has made. It's not even primarily about him being the creator, even though it's true that he's the creator. That's why the Torah starts out that way. He's the creator and covenant maker and of course the redeemer and that is the core message to relegate those core foundational pieces to what it means to to be belong to messiah has no meaning if that is oh that's just like every other ancient near eastern law it was specific to a certain people certain place um Wow, it's just, it's it's wrong-headed. Okay, we're going to move on. Good discussion. And Good discussion. Before, we, before we do, we're going to do this. Oh, I didn't hear it. Did you? Did it come through? I didn't hear nothing. Well, I'm sorry. I was going to try. I was going to try to acknowledge the, uh, the, the super chat by Love is Bigger. But my soundboard, for some reason, is not working. Unless you guys heard it. Maybe they heard it. I don't know. Anyway, thank you very much for the super chat. Uh, we'll get you next time with the soundboard. I'm not sure why that's not working. All right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Weights and measures. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, we're going to move on to Gary. Gary asks, I know you have studied the topic of last meal, uh, the last supper of Yeshua. Uh, I'm sorry. The last meal Yeshua had with his disciples, and all in all, and all the synoptic gospels agree that it was a Passover meal, and that both Luke and Mark mention it. The fact that it was at the time the lambs were slaughtered, which means it would have been the 14th day of the first month. I, by the way, let's stop for real, just a second. For anyone who uh, is confused on why uh, I believe that this is not only a Passover meal, you can go read my uh, chronology on pronomian.com. It's up there. You can uh, search for uh, chronology or passion or something like that, Last Supper, and it, you'll find it. It's, uh, I don't know, 15 pages or something like that. And uh, I go through all the, uh, all the evidence on that and why I believe that. Anyway, okay. Of course, to have a Passover meal would require a lamb, which means that Yeshua wasn't crucified uh, no earlier than the 15th. What would you say to someone who insists that Yeshua had to be absolutely crucified on the 14th or he cannot be the fulfillment of the Passover lamb? Well, if that is the case, if somebody wants to argue that, what I would say is then he's not the fulfillment of the Yom Kippur sacrifice or of the Sukkot sacrifices. 
right? Because he wasn't cruise or the, the Yom Teruah sacrifices. And I think that the Yom Kippur sacrifice is probably the most poignant because the whole book of Hebrews is talking about how Yeshua is the, the right, lamb right. that was slain. Right. It's so framing he fulfilled, Yeshua's yeah. death in terms of the seventh month, the tenth day of the seventh month. Right. So the, the point is, is that um, this is just simply not how it works. It, 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 there's nowhere in scripture where it says that Yeshua has to be crucified at the exact same time as the Passover lambs or else he can't, or else. Sometimes you'll, I, I've seen that also tied to the first day of the counting of the Omer as like a feast of first fruits, which it's not, but that it has to correspond to the resurrection. So in other words, they take the spring feasts and they try to say, oh, it has to mean, it has to fit a certain way. And they actually want to translate that into a chronology of this is how it unfolded. Right. And and part of that is I, I, that Midrash is old because it, it is a way of reading the Gospel of John um, that it actually influences the way it's uh, at, um, in the Babylonian Talmud. I think it's in, in Shabbat. Uh, in the Babylonian Talmud, where it's talking about Jesus the Nazarene was uh, hung on Pesach or something like that. Uh, but in any event, it's it, it's not. I mean, Brant, uh, is it Brent or Brant Petrie did a more popular version of understanding this? But basically, it's the same thing that Tim Haig wrote twenty five years ago or whatever. Of uh, that, the Synoptics and John are all on the same page. Yep. Uh, and one of the key facts there is the word Pascha has several meanings in the first century. And that's demonstrable from the gospels themselves, but also when you look at larger Jewish writings using the word in the first century, it can mean the lamb, it can mean the, the meal, it can mean the day, and it can mean the whole feast, the right. whole seven days. So... It can refer to the animals slaughtered on other days, right? So, uh, and because and that was just understood, and we're supposed to be attentive to to the context. But yeah, I mean, if that person maybe hasn't heard us talk about that before, of course we have, and especially every springtime it comes around, we usually touch on it. But our viewpoint, yeah, is is that the three synoptics and John are all on the same page. The Last Supper is, in fact, a Passover meal, and Yeshua is crucified on the 15th. Yes, that is correct. You are correct, sir. All right. Uh... The alternative, just, to, just one footnote, the alternative is that, and this is what you see in broad Christianity, they're will, and, but it's they're more liberal. They're willing to say, yeah, John is telling the story differently. Because right. he wants, because chronology is not as important to John, and so it's more of a midrash, or he's and so yeah, he he's can play loosey goosey right. with the with the days, and to me that's just like I I, I don't have room for that kind of loosey goosey approach. Hermeneutic, you know, that hermeneutic doesn't fit for me. So, uh, you know, I said that I was going to respond to this. Ella uh, in the chat room says, do you think there are biblical grounds for women to wear tzitzit? She wrote me an email uh, earlier today, and I said I would uh, uh, respond in an email. But you know what? We're here right now. We got seven minutes. Let's do it. We've, we've talked about this multiple times on this show before, but we'll, we'll do it again real quickly. The term uh, B'nai Israel, sons of Israel, can refer to, obviously, the sons of Israel, which it does in certain cases, but it can also refer to all of Israel. There are, uh, there are various uh, examples of rabbis throughout the ages that have allowed and have even uh, made their the women in their household where Zitzi. So the idea that uh, Judaism has always said that it's only for men is simply not the case. Throughout history, we do see various examples of some rabbis um, having the women in their households wear Zitzi. Uh, there is an argument both ways. The argument from uh, mainstream Judaism is that uh, tzitzit is for B'nai Israel, and it has always been a man's garment that is worn, and therefore women should not wear it because it's a man's garment. However, uh, on the flip side, there is the argument that no, it is in fact a, a garment for anyone, 
Tzitzit, uh, B'nai Israel means all of Israel there, and women have the right and should wear tzitzit as well. I tend to lean towards the second view. If women want to wear tzitzit, I have no problem with that. Um, and uh, I have people in my family who wear tzitzit, and uh, women uh, in my family who wear tzitzit, and uh, that I think that's totally fine. It's I think that this comes down to each household. And uh, ultimately, I think that that's exact. That is the answer. It comes down to each individual household. We see this even within Judaism. And if any, uh, if any uh, Jew gives you a problem with that, you just say, "Well, my rabbi said it was okay." Um, that's gonna. That's gonna. You know. But ultimately, you can you can point to other. I think it was Akiva. His the women of his household uh, wore tzitzit. Am I right I on don't that? Or remember? I, I, maybe Rashi, but he might have been religious, Rashi. But. Uh, so the, yeah, ultimately, the, the point is, is that uh, this all comes down to the term B'nai Israel, which is that which does it sometimes mean just the men, but a, a lot of the time it also means all of Israel, including women. And we see this in the text, right? Women and children are included in the B'nai Israel. So that's ultimately what it comes down to. All right. Uh, because of that, I'm probably not going to write the email uh, because I think I just answered that. Uh, Ella, if you are still uh, in the chat room and you heard that, please let me know so that uh, I don't have to. Write the email. Okay. Let's see. We have five minutes. And we have one last one. This should be quick. Eric called in and asked, I was quoted a pat. Did we already do this? I thought we did, but maybe not. I was quoted a passage from 2 Thessalonians 2.15. And there is no... Uh, there's, there's a brother who stands firm and holds... Uh, uh, the traditions which you refer not, whether by word or mouth or by letter from us. I was, uh, it was said to me. Sorry, I, I wrote this out from. Um, I wrote this out from a, a voicemail. So he's quoting Second uh, Thessalonians two fifteen. I was told that this was Paul and the apostles giving the the people traditions that were new and that it was oral tradition. In other words, tradition like rabbinical oral tradition. Therefore, it allows the church to do the same thing. It allows the church to make up rules and edicts and things like that. And they're using this passage to justify it. In other words, you, they use a passage like Second Thessalonians two fifteen. 15 to say, well, the church has authority to make up um, rules and traditions. Uh, but this is this is clearly not the case. The, the traditions that have been handed down is the gospel message. When he says traditions, he's talking about the, the tradition that's handed down is simply the, 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 the beliefs that are handed down. Am I right on that, Rob? Well, I mean, I, I just pulled up the NASB 95 just to refresh the context. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about the truth of the gospel, right? Verse 14, it was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he's talking about giving thanks to God. Um, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation, through sanctification, etc. Then, So then, brethren, stand firm, hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Um, that, I, I think when you look at Paul and his mission as a whole, it is standing strong with the truth of the gospel, things from Yeshua's mouth that are uh, what I would say non-negotiable in the face of the Jewish sectarian groups that are, that don't like it, right? They don't like, Paul, Saul of Tarsus didn't like that Jewish believers in Yeshua were welcoming Gentiles to their table and they were eating and they right. were calling them brothers and yeah. that they were still keeping the Sabbath. They were, they were observing the law of Moses, but they were included. Gentiles were coming and being beneficiaries of the covenantal blessings because they were all abiding in the teaching of Yeshua. Saul of Tarsus hated that. He wanted to destroy that. Right. Yep. He wanted to destroy that. Yeah, I think that this and is so, a, a, and so this, after he gets his kick kick in the rear and Yeshua says, Okay, you're you belong to me, and this is the direction you're going now. He fought for the rest of his life. Paul fought to protect the very thing that he had been trying to destroy. Destroy, right? Yeah, exactly. And and this is just another example. He's like, look, whether you whether you read it from me in a letter or from one of us. Like even when Paul writes the letters, it's 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 usually Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus write to you, right? He's writing 
as a collective. It's like we, this is our, this is who we are in Messiah. We are a family and we are communicating to you. And, and whether that's in writing or whether they visited and shared, it's the same message to take this out of context and think, oh, there must be some sort of secret uh, way that they wrap to fill in, you know, that Paul's like, you've got to do it this way. And if you don't do it, you know, you need to do it seven times, you know, because, and then on the seventh, you say this other blessing, right? Or when you wash your hands, you got to do the, you know, start with the left hand, do the right, or no, you start with the right, do the left, and then you have to go back and, you know, and then you have to say these blessings while you're doing it, then, then you'll be ready to do the mitzvah, right? Nothing like that. If, if, if you, if someone is taking cues from the rabbinic world and trying to squeeze them in or smuggle them in to the ecclesia through a little passage like this, it's, that's wrongheaded. And that's a big red flag. I agree. Seahag at TorahResource.com, C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com is our email address. Uh, go ahead and send us. We need we need good show topics, so send them on in. Uh, and then also 253-465-3205 is our phone number, our message machine. And don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. We will see you next year. And we will be uh, we will be back next week, next year, however you want to see. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Matters.